over the past few weeks, we've been considering the kind of conduct stroke conversation that befits people who are begotten again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, Christians, but I just love those words there, begotten again unto a living hope by the resurrection of, the, uh, of, of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've seen that the Apostle Peter, speaking as he was moved by the Holy Spirit, exhorted all Christians to submit to earthly rulers and to the the governors of those rulers for the Lord's sake, or as unto the Lord. We saw that in chapter 2, verses 13 through to 16. Also, we saw that Christian slaves or house servants were to be subject to their masters with all fear, that is a fear of God, not a fear of their masters. If you're a Christian, you are to fear God and, and him alone. So the servant slaves were to obey their masters with a fear of God, not just the nice masters, but also the froward or the wicked ones. Last week, we considered the subjection of wives to their own husbands, and we saw that that subjection reflects the relationship that Jesus has with his church. Inasmuch as the husband is the head in a marriage relationship and Jesus is the head of the church. So, in other words, a good biblical marriage, it honours and it exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we shall continue with that last consideration, the marriage relationship, as it reflects the relationship that Jesus has with his church. However, having considered wives, today we shall consider husbands. Let's have a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 again. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honour unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I suppose the obvious thing to notice before anything else is that only one verse is given over to the duty of husbands towards their wives, whereas all of the first six verses in chapter 3 are about the subjection of wives towards their own husbands. It doesn't seem fair, does it? Six verses for the wives and just one verse for the husbands. I wouldn't read anything into that. As we shall see, there is plenty in verse 7 for husbands to take on board. Also, women who become Christians may well experience all sorts of opposition from their unbelieving husbands, whom they were in subjection to before they became Christians and whom they continue to be in subjection to as Christians. Whereas what we shall consider today, the responsibilities of believing husbands towards their wives, those husbands are not likely to suffer anywhere near as much uh, as their wives, whether their wives are believers or not. And that is because the husbands are the head in the relationship, they really don't have to worry about opposition from their wives. If they are the head of the marriage relationship, 
Um, things are really stacked in their favour. Peter said, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. The same applies in verse 7 with the husbands as it did in verse 1 with the wives. Peter was not issuing some new ordinance, rather it was an exhortation. In other words, husbands who have a God-given authority over their wives were being exhorted to continue to dwell with their wives according to knowledge. So, as to what that knowledge is, it's certainly not a knowledge according to the spirit of this world, a spirit that makes no distinction between men and women, let alone husbands and wives. Do we look to the wisdom of a world that is happy to call men women and women men? A world in which same-sex marriages are accepted? Most certainly not. Where Peter said husbands dwell with them, namely wives, according to knowledge, a good clue as to where that knowledge is to be found comes to us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it is written, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. As such, the scriptures are the rule of faith and of life, And it is to the Bible that we must go for knowledge in matters of marriage. After all, it was God who instituted marriage with our first parents. So it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, that we have a look what God tells us. And we get our knowledge from God, the one who invented marriage. As it is written in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 through to 24... And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So, what does the Bible actually say about husbands? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, it can be seen that God made the woman as a help meet for him. Now what help meet does not mean is that she is to be a skivvy or a slave. It means a suitable helper or a counterpart to help him. Therefore God made the woman to be a suitable helper for the man. That's the word of God that tells us that. When they unite in marriage they do so as equals but with the woman as a suitable helper for her husband. 
And that is something that we considered last week. There's no need to go over all of that again. As for the husbands, they are to love their own wives. Now, apparently, a young man once went to see his pastor, Dr. Ironside, to confess that he loved his wife too much. He admitted that he was putting her on such a high plane that he feared it was sinful. The pastor asked, do you think you love your wife as Christ loved the church? The husband didn't dare to say that he did. The pastor then said that that is the limit to which a husband may love his wife. As it is written in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The love of Christ for his church is a self-sacrificing love. When you think about the cross, Jesus literally sacrificed himself in the place of all he came to save. I suspect that whether or not husbands would be brave enough to go through with it, most would be, most would choose if they had no option, no other option, they would choose to surrender their own lives in the place of their wives. That is a sacrificial love. By the way, a husband surrendering his own life in the place of his wife's can never equal the self-sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. Uh, when he laid down his life upon the cross. When Jesus was lifted up to die, he did so as the sacrificial lamb of God and he carried in his own sinless body the vile sins of all he came to save. Altogether very different. Beyond the cross, the self-sacrificing love of Jesus towards his church was demonstrated throughout his earthly ministry. For he made himself of no reputation, he took upon himself the form of a servant. On a daily basis, the incarnate Son of God ministered to his disciples, even to the point of tying a towel around his waist, washing their feet and drying their feet with that towel. What love, what humility and what servanthood we see from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just as Jesus, who as as God has authority over all things, demonstrated his love for the church by serving it and by dying for it, husbands who have authority over their own wives, are to demonstrate their love for them daily by serving them. Self-sacrificing love is a doing word and it is done through service to others, especially when you would rather be doing something else, preferably for yourself, as we all love to do, doing our own thing. For example... Imagine you have a dog. You expect loyalty. You expect submission and obedience from your dog. In return, you might throw your dog an occasional treat, 
pat him on his head and tell him that he is a good boy, a good doggy. But is that a self-sacrificing love? Hardly. It's too easy. Self-sacrificing love towards your dog means stepping out of a nice warm house and taking him for a walk on a cold and rainy day, providing, of course, you can drag your dog out of the house with you. But it means doing something. It may sound like a ridiculous illustration, but all too often, husbands take the selfish option of tossing their wives the occasional treat of a bunch of flowers or a box of chocolates, or maybe even a kiss and a cuddle. They are important, but none of those things are self-sacrificing. Again, it's all too easy to pop into ShopRite and buy a little treat or, or give your wife a big kiss. A self-sacrificing love might take the form of a husband actually talking to his wife. It may, it may mean a husband spending some quality time with his wife, perhaps on a Saturday when both of them are having a day off work, instead of him going off and pursuing his hobbies. It may mean helping out with the children. It may mean a husband taking his wife out on a date. Coming back to the little treats, as long as they are supported by an active sacrificial love, they are important. For example, dads, do your children ever see you showing affection towards your wife? Look at verse 7 again. I told you there's quite a lot here. Verse 7, likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honour unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. According to verse 7, husbands are to give honour unto their wife, as unto the weaker vessel. That's easier said than done. Everyone has a heart that is desperately wicked, and that wickedness is often seen in taking advantage of those who are weaker. And it often means bullying them. Because that's how we are as sinful human beings. We can't help ourselves. For example, some time ago, I saw a documentary about a pygmy tribe in Africa that received, the pygmies received visits from other tribal people living nearby. The unwelcome visitors beat the pygmies and treated them shamefully simply because they were able to do so. They were bigger and stronger than the pygmies. When I was at school a long time ago, there were big bullies who picked on other children. That is still the case today in schools and I guess it will always be the case. Generally, it's easy for a man to take advantage of his wife and even to bully her if he wants to. I wonder, dads, do your children see or hear you shouting at your wife or lording it over her? Do they see their mum walking on eggshells and choosing her words very carefully when she is speaking to you? 
Christian husbands do well to remember that their believing wives are heirs together with them and with all other believers of the grace of life, as Peter put it in verse 7. The fact that the wife is the weaker vessel tells us that the husband is also a vessel. In fact, as Christians, they both have been made from the same lump of clay as vessels of honour by God, who is the great heavenly potter. Both are equally loved by the Son of God, who loved them and who gave himself for them. Verse 7 again. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honour unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of grace, the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Husbands are to give honour to their wives and to love them, even as the Lord Jesus Christ also loved his church and gave himself for it, that their prayers be not hindered. That reminds me of King David in the Old Testament. Day and night, the hand of God was heavy upon him until he acknowledged his sin to God. In Psalm 32, verse 5, David said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. David's communion with God was restored upon his confession of sin. No longer did he feel the hand of God heavy upon him. And David went on to say in Psalm 32, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me with songs of deliverance. What a transformation there. Once David got that chin, uh, that sin off his chest, if you like, and out of his heart, when he confessed his sins to God, a forgiving God, a loving Heavenly Father. I can relate to all of that, and I guess you can as well. When, as a believer, you sin against God, whose only begotten Son was wounded for your transgressions, you feel lousy, You feel the hand of God heavy upon you and your prayer life is hindered to the point of being non-existent. At least mine has been. My prayer life has been so dry when there's been ongoing sin in my life. Likewise, if a husband is not honouring his wife, if he is not loving her, how can he pray to God? who has told him to honour his wife and to love his wife as the Lord Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How can he pray to God? How can he be with his wife and together pray to God? I don't know how he can do it. If that is you, then the good news is that when you truly repent, And you confess your sin, whether you are a husband who has not been honouring your wife or else there is some other sin going on that is hindering your prayer life. 
and your communion with God. It's hindering your communion with God. It seems like God is a million miles away. He's not, but it just seems that way. Then God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from your unrighteousness, all your unrighteousness upon your confession of sin to him. That same good news about God's grace and mercy extends to all of you who have never before sought the mercy and forgiveness from God. I'm talking now to people who are not yet trusting in Jesus. In fact, that's when it all starts. When a repentant sinner first cries out to God for forgiveness, trusting in the sacrificial work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are an errant Christian husband, or else a Christian whose prayer life and communion with God has been hindered because of sin, repent. And if you are someone who has not yet received Jesus as your saviour from sin, and I know that there are one or two of you in here, repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to God be the glory. Amen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>